Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. As you can see, we have been unveiling over the past few weeks, and we're going on a journey together as a fellowship to re-articulate and better understand our heart, who we are, what is the calling and the destiny and the identity and the mandate of Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. And while we're careful not to focus on too many individualistic works or items, or this is what we do in terms of tangible things, because each of us have individual giftings and callings that are unique, and yet when they all come together as a family, we have an individual, we have, we have various callings and, and, and things that God has placed on us, which are also unique to our family. But how would we express who we are? We've been working this out over the past few weeks. We are a family on a journey, so we are going somewhere, and we're not going somewhere alone. It's not an individual th- individualistic thing. We are a family on a journey. We are journeying somewhere together. Where are we going? Our, ident- our, 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 our focus, our... Um, Direction is to become more like Christ. That is what we orientate our lives towards, Him, towards Jesus, Christ-likeness. As a result, we share His kingdom by expressing His love. Now, last week I started talking to you about understanding the kingdom of God, and I want to pick up from where I left off there. I will will share a few things on that this morning, just on, on, on recapping where we left off last week so that if any of you weren't here, uh, just so that you, you're not left behind. But we, we started last week with the understanding that Jesus preached the kingdom of God wherever he went. That was his message. I have come to call those to repentance. To repent, why? For the kingdom of God is at hand, or the kingdom of God has come. That was the message Jesus preached. It wasn't just a message of salvation. Because many, many today we preach, come to Jesus and be saved, and we make the cross the end. That is the goal, to, 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 to come to the cross and be saved. But that's not the goal in itself. That's just the doorway. That's just the entrance. Yes, we be saved into what? Into a glorious new kingdom that Jesus came to bring on earth. When he taught his disciples to pray, he said, this is how you pray. Our, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. What does that mean? It means your will be done here on earth as your will is always done in heaven. One of the reasons Jesus had to teach so much, and he spoke in parables, and he tried to to explain to people for them to understand what this kingdom message is all about, is because he was fighting against the resistance of their expectations. They had misguided expectations of what the Messiah would look like, of what the prophesied kingdom which was coming would be like. They were looking for an earthly king in the likeness of David. And this is significant because David is the great liberator of Israel. He's the one who brought Israel peace all around. He was the greatest king that they ever had. And they were looking for another king like that that would come and liberate them and set them free from the Roman oppression that they were under. N.T. Wright, who is a prominent biblical scholar of our time, said, the salvation spoken of in the Jewish sources of this period has to do with rescue from national enemies, restoration of national symbols, and a state of shalom or peace 
in which every man could sit under his vine or his fig tree. And that phrase is quite significant. We spent quite a bit of time last week exploring and understanding what that phrase actually meant. Again, if you didn't catch last week's message, I encourage you to get it, because the better we understand the expectations that the, the, the people that, God, that Jesus was sent to, the better we understand the expectations that they had, the better we understand the message of the kingdom, the way Jesus brought it across. Basically, this, that, that statement, a time of shalom under, in which every man sat under his own uh, fig tree or olive tree or vine, um, was a nostalgic yearning back to the times of Solomon, which is the height of Israel's history, where it is said of that, phrase, of that time, everyone had their place, they had their own home, their own vine, their own fig tree. So as I said, the greatest resistance that Jesus experienced in trying to share uh, his message and to usher in the kingdom of God was the expectations of the very people he had been sent to. The thinking of the people was that if Jesus was the son of David, he was going to come in the likeness or the spirit of David and establish a kingdom the way David did. However, Jesus came in the spirit of God and to establish his kingdom, his way. And it was different to what the kingdom of David was like. And so this is where we kick off this week. And we're going to start talking about what's the big difference between the kingdom of David or the kingdom that they were expecting to come, a kingdom that rules from the top down that comes in force versus the kingdom that Jesus preached. And for that, I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3. And we have an account here which begins to elaborate for us a far more accurate understanding of what the kingdom of God that Jesus preached is like. John chapter 3, and we're going to read first of all from verses 1 to 5. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Let's pause for a second. Nicodemus was a well-noted man, a well-known man, one of the head Pharisees or leaders within the Jewish community of that time. He was a notable leader. And therefore, it says in verse 2, he came to Jesus by night, so under the guise of darkness, and said to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, or the, the, Greek, interpret, the Greek word there means born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter kingdom of God. So immediately, Jesus' definition of the kingdom is not something that came from the outside upon. It's something that was entered into and that there was a clear path or a clear doorway or a clear journey that one had to go through in order to see or identify or partake of the kingdom that he was ushering in. Now he says, unless one is born of the water and of spirit. And I'll take a moment just to say some things about the water. What does he mean by water? Well, there are broadly three interpretations of what that means. And I'll give them all to you. The first one is this. 
born of a woman, natural birth, born of water. And that is probably the most likely explanation of what Jesus meant. Another interpretation of that is through baptism. Unless you are baptized and filled with the Spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So that's how some people interpret it. Another way that people interpret this born of the water is by being washed of the Word. So I need to take, I'll just give you some scriptural references. Ephesians 5, 25 and 26. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the Word, or the washing of water by the Word. Or 1 Peter 1, 23 says, having been born again, not of corruptible, but incorruptible, through the word, which God, word of God which abides forever. So you see the three understandings or the three broad interpretations of you must be born of water and of the Spirit. <clears throat> and I want to say to you today, whichever one you choose or blend of those three, it really, I'm not going to say it's irrelevant, but we need to understand that the weight of what Jesus was saying there didn't really lie on the water. The weight of what Jesus was saying there lay on the Spirit. Because if you see in verse 6, he sums it up by saying, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And that's why many would say that the natural birth is probably the most, ex most valid explanation for that, that verse being born of water and of the Spirit. But the point is this. Whatever it is that, that you identify with best for that first point, the emphasis that Jesus make is th makes is this. If you want to see or know or enter into or identify the kingdom of God, it comes one way. You need to be born of water and the Spirit. Because that which is born of flesh is flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit is a spirit, is, is of the Spirit. So a kingdom that is born or established on outward so, on just outward signs, on external force, on rules and legislation that is placed on people is just an earthly kind of kingdom. But a kingdom that comes in the power of the Spirit, that changes hearts, that displaces that which was there before, doesn't just dominate over it, but has overcome it and displaces it, that is an altogether different kingdom. And when he says you must be born again, we have an understanding. I'm not going to quote all the scriptures around it, but that Jesus was talking about becoming a new creation. That when in his kingdom, he doesn't just through legislation come and put new rules in place and ask us to follow them. He comes in the power of his spirit and recreates us in the inner man. The Passion Translation of verse 6 there says, The natural realm can only give birth to things that are natural, but the spiritual realm gives birth to supernatural life. Supernatural life. And when we start understanding that, we're beginning to get a glimpse of the essence of what the kingdom of God is all about. We begin to understand and get a glimpse of what it is that Jesus was alluding to and teaching about in the context that he spoke it. You see, the Jews thought of themselves as God's chosen people, which they were, they rightly were, God's chosen people. But the implication, therefore, with that expectation is that if you're born a Jew, you were born chosen. When the kingdom of God came, when Jesus ushered in the kingdom of God, he said, this is a spiritual kingdom, not a natural kingdom. And the laws of the kingdom of God state that citizenship 
is by birth alone. So in the same way that you were born into God's chosen race, if you wanted to be a part of the kingdom of God that Jesus came to bring in, you had to be born into the kingdom. Born again. So as I said, the law of the kingdom of God is that citizenship is by birth alone. It doesn't matter if you speak the language, if you speak Christianese, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you follow the traditions and, 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 and work out all the external uh, customs. It doesn't matter if you dress the right way or dress like the folks of that nation. It doesn't matter if your parents were born in that nation. And it doesn't matter if your children are born in that nation. It doesn't matter what, how many rich or influential friends you have in that nation. The only way we become partakers of the kingdom of God is to be born again from above. That is the initial seed that is required. Charles Spurgeon says it this way, A man may cast away many vices, forsake many lusts in which he indulged, and conquer evil habits, but no man in the world can make himself to be born of God. Though he should struggle, never so much, he could never accomplish what is beyond his power. And mark you, if he could make himself to be born again, still he would not enter heaven, because there is another point in the condition which we all have violated. Unless a man be born of the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What are we talking about here? We're talking about personal relationship with Jesus. We're not talking about customs or works or traditions. It's about an inward heart transformation. It is a kingdom that gains its existence, its meaning, its significance, its life from God himself personally. From God himself personally. What does that mean? It means that when we are born again, God himself personally comes to live inside every one of our hearts. Isn't that the most glorious, wonderful thing. You see, all throughout history, God created mankind in the Garden of Eden, and there he was, and in the afternoon he used to come and he used to spend time with them. They were the object of his love and of his affection. Through the fall, we lost that. And over the years, Israel developed, under the guidance of God, a system of worship that enabled one man on one day of the year, to enter a room called the Holy of Holies to present a sacrifice, an atonement for the sin of the nation of Israel, and he would meet there in the Holy of Holies, and between the cherubim, there God's presence would be. Later on, as the story continues to unfold, Jesus himself comes, and he's present with his disciples. And he teaches them about the kingdom. He teaches them about the presence of God that will come upon them, that and he says things like this, it is beneficial for you that I go away. Because if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come. In other words, you think it's great having the very person, the presence of God here in your midst. If I don't go away, that which is better cannot come. Folks, you and I live in the greatest dispensation of time that has ever existed, where the presence, the person of God, lives not in a building, not in another person, but inside every, the heart of every single believer. 
Jeremiah 31, verse 33 to 34, looking ahead at the covenant that was to come, I'll read to you from the message, says, This is the brand new covenant that I will make with Israel when the time comes. I will put my law within them, write it on their hearts, and be their God, and they will be my people. They will no longer go around setting up schools to teach each other about God. They will know me firsthand, the dull and the bright, the smart and the slow. I'll wipe the slate clean for each of them. I'll forget they ever sinned. God's decree. And so we see this picture that unfolds as the prophet looks ahead to a time and a kingdom that is to come that's going to be very different from the kingdom that the people were expecting. So where does this leave you and I? You see, if we're going to understand the kingdom of God, that initial seed becomes the foundation for our understanding of the kingdom of God. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 4. And we're going to read the most famous of parables. It's the parable of the sower. Mark chapter 4, and I'll read to you. It says, from verse 1, And he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. And he taught them many things by parables, and said to them in, this, in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprung up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground, and it yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced. Some, six, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears, let him hear. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. Just pause with me for a moment. To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. Why was it a mystery? Another word for mystery is hidden things. Because in their expectation and in their context, this was the furthest thing from their mind, that the kingdom of God could come and work this way. Jesus begins to unpack this and explain to them how it works. But those, who are, uh, but those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. And he said to them, Do you understand this parable, or do you not understand it? How then will you understand all the parables? In other words, The principle that he is explaining here of the kingdom is like a key that unlocks an understanding to all the other parables that Jesus told. So we better get an understanding of this one if we want to unpackage what the kingdom message is in all the other parables of Jesus. And he goes on to explain. The sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. 
These, likewise, are the ones on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in, and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground, who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some hundred. What was Jesus' message? Jesus' message is that the kingdom is not going to come upon you by force from the outside. Jesus' message was that your experience and understanding of the kingdom is dependent upon the state of your heart. That you and I will experience the kingdom of God to the measure that our heart is able to receive it and, and follow after it. He said, he said when he told the parable originally, seed fell on good ground, it yielded a crop, a good crop it sprang up, it increased and it produced. So what is one of the manifestations of the kingdom of God? It is fruitfulness from a seed that is sown. You see, the outstanding characteristic of the kingdom of God is that He chooses to place the potential and magnificence of His life-giving power into seemingly insignificant things. If I had to stand with an acorn in my hand here today and say to you, what is the potential of this acorn? What would you say? You would probably say a tree. This acorn has the potential to produce an oak tree. But you'd be wrong. Because that acorn has the potential to produce a forest of oak trees. All in its likeness. 30, 60, 100, who knows? And as it grows one or 30, each of those 30 have the power to produce 30, 60, or 100, who each have the power to produce 30, 60, and 100. And so, from very small, seemingly insignificant things, the kingdom of God begins its work. Not from the outside in, but from the inside out. It firstly brings life to the individual. You must be born again. And secondly, it repeats the process through the individual. Let me give you another parable about the kingdom. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 13. Matthew 13, we're going to read from verse 24. And these are two very different parables of what the kingdom of God is like. And then we're gonna, I'm going to... Compare the differences so that we have an understanding of what Jesus is saying. Matthew 13, from verse 24. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed seed in his field. Just pause with me, just to give you some clarity for those of you who may have questioned. Sometimes in the Bible it says the kingdom of God, sometimes it says the kingdom of heaven. You will notice that everywhere in the Bible it speaks of the kingdom of God except in one place, and that is in the book of Matthew. Matthew referred to the kingdom of God 
as the kingdom of heaven because of the audience he was speaking to. But they mean exactly the same thing. So don't get tripped up on that. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servant of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us to then go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Just so you understand the analogy of this parable as well, the difference between wheat and tares was this. Tares looked, this is my understanding, this is how it was, I've heard it, so I haven't verified this information. But here's the way I understand it. Tares, when they grow up, they look a lot like wheat. But as wheat matures, it grows kernels inside the husks. And so the weight of those kernels causes the wheat to, to bow, to, to bend over. Whereas tares, although look very similar, they don't produce anything of value. They're weeds. And so they stand up straight, and your wheat bends over. And that's how you can tell the difference between them. So you cannot do anything about them while they grow. But at the end, when it's harvest time, you can clearly tell the difference, and you can do something about it then. Now, in the first parable we spoke about, the parable of the sower, what was the ground? The ground was the heart of man. The word, or the seed, was the word of God that was sown into the hearts of men, and we saw the various responses to that, to that word. In this parable, the field is not the heart of man, but it's the world in which we live. The good seed are the sons of the kingdom. It's those who are born again, sown into the world. The tares are false believers. They look the same, you see. Outward conformers. Sons of the wicked one, who will look superficially like God's people, but do not have his life living inside. So they have a form of religion or a form of godliness, but deny the power therein. They have religion. They have works and rules. They have earthly kingdoms. They have that which is born of the flesh, but they are not filled with that which is born of the Spirit of God. The kingdom doesn't reside within them. The seeds spoken of are here are the sons of God who he himself sows into the world Again, seemingly insignificant people with the full potential of his magnificent, life-giving power residing within them. You see, the kingdom of God works not through significant people, but through the insignificant, through the everyday, through not just the politician, though God can use him. Listen, if God can use a donkey... God can use a politician. But God's desire is to use every single one of us to have the potential of all His power residing within us. Seemingly insignificant beings. Earthen vessels. Yet within us is this living hope that desires to come and find life and produce fruit and a harvest some 30, some 60, and 100 fold. Luke 18, 13 to 31. Then he said, 
What is the kingdom of God like? Again, to what shall I compare it? We read this last week. It's like a mustard seed, seemingly insignificant, which a man took and he put in his garden and it grew and became a large tree and the birds of the air nested in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It's like leaven, which a woman, a woman took and hid in three measures of oil, uh, of meal, sorry, till it was all leavened. You know, that, that it, it's significant that three measures of, of, of flour was a significant amount of flour. It could feed how much, what was the number, Stephen? About 40 people, hey? A lot, a lot of people. <clears throat> she put just a tiny little bit of leaven in it. And listen to me, folks. The influence of that lemon, leaven affected it all. The influence of that seemingly insignificant leaven was enough to change an entire batch of dough. If you understand leaven, it's important. Leaven is a living thing. It comes alive, and it affects, and it grows, and it spreads. And that is what the analogy is about. Folks, as we talk about kingdom, and next week I'll probably focus on the same subject again, God willing, and, 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 and I'll take it to the third level where we understand that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of love and that the kingdom of God works by love. So we'll take it to the third level next week. But really, the communication of our heart is an articulation of basic kingdom revelation that we of a family, as a family of sons and daughters of God, sown into the world to share and practically demonstrate the love that we have encountered in Christ Jesus, our victorious King. That's what this is all about. It's us saying we have a message. We have received something too glorious for words that has so transformed our lives that we're going to share it with you. Sometimes we're going to share it in words. Sometimes we're going to share it through gifts of generosity. Sometimes we're going to share it in works of service, personal sacrifice. But we cannot keep it inside. It is to say that because of this encounter, we've been changed forevermore into His glorious likeness and liberty. It is to say that the victory that Christ won for us over death and the power of sin has become our victory, in which we walk by faith through the power of the Spirit who resides within us, ministering His life-giving wisdom and power to us every single day. It is by that power that we face the world around us, resolute in His righteousness to be the very hands and feet of Jesus. In closing, I'll read you Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be, how shall it be seasoned? It is good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven.
Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that an expression of, the, of what the kingdom of God looks like? Very, very simple definition. A very, very simple understanding. Because I think when we try and overcomplicate it, we miss the point. What is the message of the kingdom? The message of the kingdom is, I'm coming to live in your heart. I am supernaturally going to change who you are. You're going to be a new creation. And as you learn to be led, as you follow me and learn to be led by my spirit, through you, I'm going to change the world. And so the journey of the kingdom, the journey of our heart, is how we, as a family, who we understand have been knitted, knit together and brought together by God, how are we going to journey to embrace that Christ-likeness which has been sown into our hearts, that we may share the very kingdom of God that lives within us by expressing His love. It's simple, isn't it? It's beautiful, but yet it's so powerful, seemingly insignificant in so many ways, yet all the power of heaven locked up inside. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.